and welcome to episode 19 of Life with Catherine. When I named the show, I really wanted to make it be part of my real life and incorporate who I am. And part of that is sometimes being sick. So here's Catherine with a cold, a cold allergies mix extravaganza. But I still wanted to uh, record this episode Um, In a way, it's kind of been in the back of my mind since I was young, these topics. And it just kind of came out. What started me thinking, um, the episode is called TV Moments That Changed Me. This isn't about my listing of favorite shows or particularly shows that I watched very often. It's more about moments that when I was watching it that had an impact on my psyche. It had a direct effect on not a changing the course of who I am, but having an impact on my personality, something that reached into my heart and my mind. So that's what it is about. And uh, here we go. TV moments that changed me. I grew up in the 80s. This will sound alien to future generations, but for most of my childhood we had one TV in our house with a handful of channels. Saturday morning cartoons were an occasional treat as we got older. When we hit high school my mom also had a small TV set in her room so she could catch up on the news while getting ready for work. People would order TV Guide so they could find out a few words of detail about TV shows airing for the coming week or so. I suppose that was popular at the time, but the kids I knew uh, didn't wait in anticipation for TV Guide to arrive in their mailbox. (laughs) So when I say Saturday morning cartoons were on, most times you didn't know what was coming up next or any episode details. Nowadays, of course, it's added digitally. I'm not saying one way is better than the other. I'm just painting the picture of my childhood to provide context for this episode. Sitting down to watch Saturday Saturday Night Live, not at my house, but my best friend Kathleen's house, Um, Sitting down to watch it, we rarely knew in advance who the guest host would be. There was no internet yet. um, And uh, on Sunday night, Channel 3 would run family-friendly movies, usually something Disney or things like that. In today's society, there are multiple TV sets per household, plus handheld options, and of course the computer as well. I know when we were young, uh, in my family, the big tube, old-fashioned looking TV set was in the upstairs living room. I've seen pictures of us when we were really little, but I don't really remember that. I remember it, only remember it being in the basement, in the kind of den. It was a hand-cranked dial. I remember it being 28 channels, but Jennifer, my sister, says it was 12 channels plus an auxiliary. (laughs) So you had 12 channels or nothing. 
Some families were starting to have VCRs in their houses by the time I was a teenager, but many like us rented the VCR at the same time as you rented the movies and had to bring it home and hook it up each time. I think once I hit grade 11, we had a VCR in our house, somewhere around that. It's funny, I remember as a teen uh, going to the movie, uh, going to see Encino Man with Brendan Fraser. Usually movies ran the commercials, um, usually movies ran commercials on TV, but I guess this one wasn't really mainstream enough. So when we went, I had no idea who was in the movie or the premise at all. So every scene was a complete surprise. I'm not sure this next generation will have the luxury of that experience. Yes, it ended up being a turkey of a movie, but I still quite enjoyed the surprise of it all. Excuse me, my best friend Kathleen and I used to be such dreamers that by the time the previews were finished, we would forget what movie we were about to watch. (laughs) We'd look at each other and say, wait, what are we seeing? We loved doing unconventional things like waiting in a very long line on opening night to see Tango and Cash. Once we got to the front of the line, we looked at each other and realized that neither of us actually wanted to see the movie, so we just left when we got to the front of the line. We both thought it was a hilarious thing to do. (laughs) I think a few times we even arrived at the theater with one movie in mind and saw something else just to be different. And yes, there were only two choices at our theater in a small town, plus like a 9pm, a little bit more restricted movie usually. In my teenage years, we went to the drive-in a few times, and I absolutely loved it. I saw Silence of the Lambs at the drive-in. Can you imagine? It was my first scary movie ever. Outside at the drive-in with my cousin. I I remember it being Allison. Uh, Both of us wrapped in blankets, sitting on lawn chairs. Did those owls have to keep hooting and spooking us? Okay, so now I've given you some context. So we'll get to the story at hand. As I said earlier, this is not a list of my favorite shows. These are TV episodes that changed the way I looked at television. As a kid, uh, changed the way I looked at storytelling and what was possible. It never really occurred to us, as in my sisters and I, that TV shows kind of had a a start, a middle, and an end. I mean, for the series themselves, it was kind of just something that was on. We never really spent any time watching too much of it or thinking about it. So it's quite funny to think now episodes each have their own name and they're all kind of encapsulated in a package. And it's like, really? But it never really occurred to us at the time. It's not to say we never watched it. We did watch a little bit. So it provides you some context of why th- certain things would be such a big surprise. We, we never, it never occurred to us that there would be a, like there would be season story arcs, but not a complete arc for the whole series. So it was quite funny and surprising. So this is more about the age where I started realizing that life imitates art and art imitates life and, and 
that some things can have an impact that stays with you for your whole life. Like I'm going to be talking about 21 Jump Street. And I remember in that moment when I saw one of those episodes thinking, I'm going to be thinking about this as I'm older too. This I'm going to be talking about this moment one day. I'm not asking you to like any of these shows or know anything about them. It's not really the point of it. The point is to explain who I was in that moment and what effect that had on me. So there's no spoiler. Well, I guess there's going to be spoilers, but there's no um, context needed for understanding what the show is or anything like that. You don't need to know who the characters are. So starting with 21 Jump Street... 21 Jump Street was a show when I was a teenager uh, starring Johnny Depp, very young Johnny Depp, and it was filmed uh, at UBC in Vancouver. And it's about an undercover, uh, a teenager who's graduated, but um, the, his he's a cop and his boss puts him and his partner uh, undercover in a high school. So they're just a little bit older. So it's kind of those awkward things that are all obvious. I'm not saying it was the best show ever either. I enjoyed it. I saw maybe, I don't know, six or seven episodes total, maybe 10, but I doubt it. I would say six or seven. And my, the, the first episode I'm going to talk about is I don't even know the name of the episode. I'm actually going to look it up right now. Hold on. Okay, this is the description on imdb.com. The cases of an undercover police unit composed of young-looking officers specializing in youth crime. Oh yeah, Holly Robinson, Pete, and Steve Williams, and Peter DeLuise, and Johnny Depp. Awesome! No wonder I liked it. Okay, let's find the episode name. Okay, I found it. It's called Orpheus... 3.3 and it's in season 2 episode 16 as you could tell I never really held on to those kind of that kind of information so I haven't really even read the description I couldn't tell you the names of the characters uh, at the time um, but what the effect it had on me was what happens is Johnny Depp his character and his girlfriend are driving and they're fighting they're just he knows he's going to break up with her. They're just not getting along to the point that they're, he's going to break up with her. Just, it's not going to work. So, uh, as I remember it and, uh, they stop at a convenience store. The girlfriend is, goes in to get something, comes back out. And as she's leaving, she gets shot and is, is fatally shot. So she's dying in his arms, lying on the side of the road or in the parking lot. And um, it's kind of, to me, it was a sign of a young person experiencing something like that and the gravity of it. And uh, as she's dying, he looks at her and looks at the person next to him. As far as I remember it, it was... He, w he acknowledged that he was going to break up with her and then he just said... She's the love I've been, I, I did, she wasn't for me when she was alive, but now when I'm looking at her, she's the love I always wish I had, the love I always wanted, and uh, I wish she'd stay, I 
she's the love I always wanted, wished I had, the love I'd always wished I'd had. And I just thought that was an incredible moment for a young person. Um, obviously it's written, but the that kind of impact that it could have and it could change the way you look at things and where he's just sitting there going, I didn't like her, I didn't like her. But now that she's going, uh, she's the love of my life. Not that, that she necessarily was, but that is a natural human emotion of wanting to hold on while they're slipping away. So I just thought that was an incredible moment. Because it gave uh, a voice and took a young people seriously. And I was a teenager at the time. And that the feelings that they go through very seriously. And I thought that was great. <clears throat> so what it says, the episode description on here, it says... When Hanson and Amy go to the supermarket, an armed gunman takes them and the cashier hostage and has a traumatizing ending for Hanson and everyone involved. And I think that was a very good description. Let's see who else did it. Anyways, I had not even barely seen anything other than cartoons and maybe a couple of Disney movies. So when I was looking to watch a TV show, I was thinking it was just going to be generic and, but to have something that had an impact on me was very surprising because I didn't realize that that kind of connection could be made with a show or a moment, not necessarily the show, with a moment on TV. I just thought that was really surprising. So it, it made a difference to me and watching that moment where she's slipping away and he's holding on and asking her to stay I thought that was really incredible and understated and I think he did a really good job in that moment so thanks Johnny Depp <laughs> and to insert a comment here uh, my sister Brenda has a really cool 21 Jump Street Johnny Depp story or at least I thought it was cool when she was going to UBC uh, but she's promised to be on the podcast to tell it one day. She's just got a lot on her plate right now. So um, she promised me that she would, well, yeah, she kind of promised me she would tell it. So if you run into her or see her, just tell Brenda, please go on Catherine's podcast and tell her the Johnny Depp story. Obviously, she would love to help me. She's she, uh, When her plate's a little less full, I'm going to be poking her to be a guest on the show. So um Make sure that you bug her and ask her about the Johnny Depp story. Okay. Next is a second 21 Jump Street episode. I don't remember it very much. Oops, sorry. I don't remember exactly what it was. But I remember the uh, fellow, the, the Vietnamese fellow, or I guess Vietnamese American fellow who was a teenager as part of their group. Dustin Nguyen? No, not Dustin Nguyen. No. I think Nguyen, darn, it's not out of my mind. Anyways, he um, is part of their um, police unit. And I'd, I'd rather not just read the, the description. I'd rather have it come from what I remember it being, because that's what had the most impact for me. And I don't always see the need to have every fact that way. It's more about the emotions and the feeling about it. Anyway, so he... Um, it's a flashback episode, as far as I remember, to when he was young. So to me, an episode where it's undercover, well, 20-somethings going undercover in a high school, 
I don't really see imagining that there would be flashing back to um, the fields of war in Vietnam. I guess it never really landed in my mind. It never really occurred to me that that's what an episode of TV could do. So I thought it was incredible. And I just remember flashes of being on the beach uh, and him having all of these emotions and memories about being on the beach um, in war. And I guess it brought in a real-life feeling of people are more than they seem. You would just look at this person and they were an undercover cop, whatever. But there's so much more to their family history, to everything that they've seen and done and fought for and grew up with. And I don't know, it just kind of changed. And that moment when I saw that scene on the beach where he was young, I just, that stayed with me, completely stayed with me. So I'm going to have to go, I think it's on Netflix. I'm going to have to go back and watch a few episodes, but definitely that one. Next, I'm going to do the Twilight Zone because the Roseanne one was, it's kind of like the one that affected me the most. I'll be honest. It affected me the most and I was very surprised. So, the Twilight Zone. Um, I think I watched maybe five or six episodes in total. As I say, it wasn't really a thing we did. We didn't really spend any time doing it, watching TV, but... Obviously, to even people who watch TV regularly, Twilight Zone is already an amazing show. And I remember for storytelling that an ending, oh, an ending can be like that. Oh, that changes things for me because I'm an incredibly positive person. And I just thought it was very interesting and very, but still dramatic and thematic. I just thought it was still quite interesting. So what happens is all of a sudden people, it's like every town America, all of a sudden um, it's kind of like this rash starts happening and it's affecting the young people and eventually realize it's affecting everybody. It's affecting this one young person and it's almost like a hard piece of gold shell, like a coating on the person. And once it's there, it's there. So if this one kid got this little, I don't know, loony or toony sized or coin sized mark on them, that was there permanently. And uh, they thought it was a disease they couldn't quite understand. And they realized it was coming from outer space. And they, they didn't quite understand what was going on. And what it... The, the society kept telling these young people to fight that thing happening. Fight that thing happening. You can be brave. You can fight it. Fight it. And what it actually ended up being in this story, in particular, was it ended up being an alien race 
actually having compassion and beaming down, um, like when we were kids, uh, the ozone layer was a big topic in society, how the layer above the earth that stops certain uh, poisonous rays from coming through. Sorry, scientists, but that's my layman's version of it. Um, that this, there was a hole in the ozone layer and it was going to start really giving people skin cancer. So this episode of Twilight Zone was actually people, the, the alien race was beaming it down to give people a gold coating, a gold shell, to actually let them live through that poison ray kind of ozone the hole in the ozone layer it was just going to get bigger so it was actually an act of compassion not an act of uh war or violence and I just remember saying wow that's incredible all this time you had thought it was going to be one way and it was this alien race trying to start war and combat but it was actually a level of great compassion but I thought was most interesting about it was how the younger generation ended up giving in to it once like when they were resisting it they were in a lot of pain it hurt and it was like resisting this shell taking over and once they let go and were like okay let's let it happen they were able to just run out in the sun and they were it gave them the coating the shell and they were done and they ran out but that the older generation refused to let it into their bodies. So they just had to stay inside and live kind of like hermits because they couldn't see the way of, of the future and they couldn't see the way of giving into that because the way they knew as kids was the only way it should be. And the new generation had had embraced it and evolved their life around it but the older generation just couldn't and I thought oh that's layered storytelling and not to put a divide between generations but I just always thought that was an incredibly interesting story and of course I've watched a few episodes recently of Twilight Zone on TV and I've been waiting for it to come into the rotation but it hasn't and I haven't actually gone and looked it up but I just always remember it being the like the golden child or something but I don't know, it's just that idea that what you perceive as an, uh, an act of war was actually an act of compassion. And so it ended in a beautiful way with the kids running around outside and saying, Mom, Dad, come out and play. Let's go out in the sun. The parents going, no, no, you go. I, uh, I don't want to have the sun raise and I don't want to have to have the shell. I want to stay inside. And I just thought always that stayed with me. So... Okay, so here's one that blew my mind in a really great way. I guess Saturday morning cartoons were, I suppose, like a myopic point of view, a like Tom and Jerry. Cat, mouse, chasing each other. Sometimes they get along, sometimes they don't. Um, kind of sterile kind of story that just A plus B equals C and... Music and wackiness ensues. And I remember loving Scooby-Doo. All the little Scooby-Doo moments and the, if it wasn't for you meddling kids, all that stuff. I can't remember how many episodes of Scooby-Doo I've seen, so definitely I've seen quite a few. Anyway, so 
when they did the started doing the crossovers with stuff a lot of shows didn't do crossovers when we were uh teenagers when we were young it was kind of unheard of really uh as far as i knew spin-offs were just starting the idea that a show would spin off but man when scooby doo did a crossover with the harlem globetrotters that blew my mind like completely blew my mind I'm like this is awesome mostly because I wasn't really aware of them all that much either but it just it was hilarious to me and they just incorporated all these stories in and they ended up doing a bunch of them I don't know I just I thought it was amazing and like a fun idea something outside of the box and uh, it opened up my world and it's stuff that I would have expected to be on why wouldn't it be but it was also surprising in the same way I guess that doesn't make a lot of sense but once I saw it I was like oh of course this is what I've been waiting for something like this to watch anyways I just always was grinning ear to ear anytime there was a Scooby-Doo crossover with the Harlem Globetrotters. I thought it was absolutely wild and wicked and amazing. So I will always love that. So we have the Roseanne finale and the MASH finale. The Roseanne one has been on my mind for the last six months. I used to watch it as a like a family show where the family, mom, dad, the aunt and the kids and it was just kind of very, kind of like home improvement I guess you would call it or I don't know what you'd call it nowadays. Just like family stories, uh, real life, everyday life families. But they weren't exactly, uh, they were just below working class, kind of working class and just below that. And all the wackiness of having kids and teenagers and all that stuff. So, it never occurred to me that shows would have, as I said earlier, um, an arc. Like a complete arc for the whole series. And, by the way, uh, them replacing one of the characters was hilarious. One of the daughters, I guess Becky... All of a sudden, one day, somebody else was playing the daughter. I was like, wait, you can do that? And it was like four seconds in the beginning. To, uh, starting today, Becky will now be played by blah, blah, blah. And that was it. And there was no warning because we didn't really have the internet or anything. We didn't know. there was It wasn't announced in, in my world. So it was really funny. And I was like, oh. And then after a while, it just became, oh, that's who plays her. Was it Sarah Chalk? I think it was. Anyways, I just thought that was hilarious. But I remember stopping watching it because I kind of had other things to do and it wasn't that important to me. But I did like the show and I liked the way that the characters interacted. And I liked the way the family was very important to each other. So what I'm getting to is, at one point in the show, Roseanne, the mom, starts going back to work. And all the the wackiness, that, and she works in like a little cafeteria of a 
the bay or something like a a store, department store. And I remember not really liking that stuff very much. It didn't really relate to me. And then compound that with eventually they ended up um, in the show winning the lottery and then all this. And I was like, I don't really care about those stories. So I stopped watching it, not on purpose or anything, but sort of purposefully. Anyway, so I just stopped watching it. And then six months ago, I was uh, flipping around on the internet and there was one of these click things that I don't usually click on. I don't really like YouTube stuff very much, but there was this thing of season uh, series finales that were controversial. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I remember the Dexter finale. I remember different things and certain ones were confidential. I loved Dexter, not necessarily the finale, but I loved Dexter. But that kind of thing. So it was like, oh yeah. And so I read about the Roseanne finale. And it completely blew my mind. I was like, what? You can do that? I wish I had seen that. I really wish I had seen it. And I've purposely not watched it on YouTube yet. Because I wanted to wait for this podcast to talk about it. So, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Basically what happens is... The husband in the series, as it went on, was airing, had a heart attack and survived it and went on in their lives. And what this, the finale said was actually way back halfway through the series, he actually died. The husband actually died. And from that moment on, the show was her writing in a diary the life she wished she had. And it's so funny because at one moment uh, when I was reading this description, actually her daughter, she had two daughters, were actually dating the other fellow. So Darlene was dating David and then Becky was dating the guy from Angel. And actually in in the show, in the finale, they were in real life or in, in the show, they were actually dating the opposite, but in her dream world, in her world, she thought the other two were suited for each other, so she had actually switched them. And in the finale, they were dating the other person, and I thought, that would be so wild and wicked. Not that people should switch who they're dating, that's not what I mean, but the idea for storytelling. And apparently they had slipped little things all the way, uh, little notes and hints all the way through the story without it being obvious that the daughters had gotten her pens and notebooks and different things over the course of the story, like for Mother's Day and things, that would kind of lend to the idea that she was a writer and we didn't know about it. We didn't know that, um, like, I guess it was little hints all the way through the show. But I was like, whoa. So <clears throat> I'm actually going to go grab the description right now and I'm going to read to you what the internet says. Okay, so the Roseanne series finale. This is wiki dossier. It's a wiki thing. wikia.com w-i-k-i-a so roseanne.wikia.com and the episode is called Into That Good Night Part 2. So this is from their website. Into That Good Night Part 2 was the 24th and final episode of Season 9 of Roseanne. 
Also, the 221st overall series episode, part two of a two-part series finale episode arc. That's terrible writing because I have no, that just went right through my brain. It was written by Roseanne Barr and Alan Stephen. It was directed by Gary Halverson. The episode arc of Into That Good Night in 2011. Alyssa, do you want to watch a movie soon? Okay. Sorry for that interruption. The episode arc of Into That Good Night in 2011, the two-part finale, was ranked number nine on the TV Guide Network special, TV's Most Unforgettable Finales. Part two of the arc originally aired on ABC TV on May 20th, 1997. Uh, and I'm going to read the synopsis, but I just remember thinking when I read that, I was like, shows can do that? You're allowed to do something like that? I just remember for storytelling... I was like, that was so brave of her. And of course, there's people who don't like it. But I don't really care if I like it or not. I just love the idea that you could do that as a writer and a storyteller. So synopsis taken from there. In the first half, the family talks about life after winning the lottery. Then Roseanne reflects about her fictional life as a voiceover monologue reveals that the show itself has really been her writing. She says that while the book she was writing was based on her life, she changed what she didn't like. Sorry, life. She changed what she didn't like. For instance, in reality, the Connors did not win the lottery. Dan died of a heart attack. Jackie, her sister, not Bev, was gay. Mark and Darlene and Becky and David were the Connor Healy couples. And DJ went to college. In the final moments, after looking over her book, she goes upstairs and sits on the couch. The show fades to black as her trademark laugh is heard one more time. Ah, Roseanne. So it says, Roseanne and Dan are delighted that Darlene, David, and their new daughter, Harris, will be staying with them. DJ has grudgingly given up his room for them and has moved into the basement. It's just a day of warmth and happiness and celebration in the Connor house. Family and friends are gathered together to celebrate the new addition. Everyone comes by to welcome Harris home. Bev, Leon, Scott, and Nancy. Each person takes a turn upstairs, having a little one-on-one -on -one time with Harris. During the visits over the crib, it is revealed that Mark and Becky are expecting as well. Mark wants to spread the news, but Becky opts to hold off and let the day be about Darlene. Darlene is apprehensive about overstaying their welcome, thinking Roseanne doesn't really want them staying there. She questioned Roseanne about it. Roseanne lets her know that she would let, like them to live with her at the house forever. Darlene is relieved and would like that as well. Among the party atmosphere, Leon and his significant other make an announcement. They will be adopting little Nadia a three-year-old girl from Romania that needs a family. They are congratulated by all, even Bev, who apologizes for her behavior at Thanksgiving. As the extended family gathers around the kitchen table for takeout food, Roseanne looks at each one of them and reflects. As she reflects, she real reveals that she's really been writing a book about her life. And this is what we've been watching. In her book, whatever she didn't like about her life, she changed. In reality, Dan actually died from a heart attack. 
The family never won the lottery. She switched the couples around so Mark and Darlene were actually dating and David and Becky were dating. She simply felt that David was more Darlene's type and Mark was Becky's. And it's Jackie who is gay, not Bev. She also says that Jackie is her rock and she wouldn't have gotten as far as she did without her. She says regarding G.J. that a lot of people have called him a nerd. But a lot of times nerds are just artists. She says Leon isn't as cool as she made him. And that Scott actually was a probate lawyer she had met and fixed up with Leon. She says that Nancy was also her hero as she got her out of marriage. Uh, no, as she got out of her marriage and found strength in spirituality. Ro Roseanne reveals that she wrote Dan's Affair and the lottery win to compensate for the feelings of loneliness she experienced in the aftermath of his death until Darlene's preemie daughter was born and almost died, which snapped her out of her depression and returned her focus to her children's lives. Then, at the final moments, after everyone fades away, we find Roseanne in the basement in her old writing room reflecting over her book. She then walks up the stairs and through the old kitchen and walks into the living room and sits on their old couch. Her trademark laugh is heard one last time as the lights go out. I just think that's so interesting. Oh, it's got some trivia here. This episode was viewed by 16.57 million people. Okay, so they're just recapping. Oh, I guess some of the decorations in the room aren't the same. Uh, and it says, in this episode, we learn Becky and Mark are expecting a baby, a fact that is only mentioned this one time and never revealed to Dan and Roseanne. Uh, in the early seasons of the series, uh, the basement is accessed through a door in the kitchen. Later on, the basement is accessed through the service porch, which is unrealistic since Dan built that addition onto the house himself. And near the end of the final episode, the basement door is back in the kitchen. Which really could be the idea that they were having the two different timelines, the real life and not. Um, voiceovers from Roseanne's birthday episode years back. So I guess they do a little flashback. DJ says, happy birthday, mom. Here, pencils. Darlene says, yeah, I got you some notepads. Becky, I got you a dictionary and a thesaurus. And her husband, Dan, says, you know, Stephen King started this way. Then Roseanne leaves the basement. I just thought that was incredible. Interesting. I'm not saying it changed the world, but it give, gave me a different outlook on what was possible in a different time. Nowadays, things are expecting to be shocking, but to me, it was incredibly surprising. So I just thought that was a really cool move. Next, I'm going to talk about the show MASH. It's a hospital drama in set in Vietnam which my mom loved this show, and it was so out there and ridiculous at the time. I just thought it was really funny. It wasn't really my thing, 
Um, I wouldn't have sat down to watch it, but it was enjoyable when she was watching it to be able to just kind of sit in the room for a few minutes and laugh. And it's like this wacky group of doctors and it's basically set in Vietnam where the war is and it's the um, on the field personnel who've, who've got a makeshift tent and uh, makeshift camp that they're going, they are the medical personnel for any time the, the soldiers are hurt. And I just thought, that was really important to keep in society's vocabulary and keep it in the back of their minds that these things were going on or had gone on and war continues to still be part of our world and I just thought it was one important piece to keep in uh, in the front of people's minds. So anyways, it was these doctors and Hawkeye Pierce and, and like I think his best friend was BJ or something. Anyways, they were hilarious and they did all these things. Wackiness ensued. There was uh, the beautiful girl on campus, if you want to call it, was Hot Lips Houlihan. And I just think nowadays, if anyone in your workplace tried to call someone Hot Lips Houlihan, whoo, that would not go over well. <laughs> but see, I'm still thinking of 21 Jump Street. Brian's like, uh, it was the Korean War, Catherine. So that's good. Thank you, Brian. Um, anything else to add about the set? Uh, no. Okay. Thank you. That's important. We gotta get it right. I guess I was still thinking about the uh, Twenty One Jump Street episode. Thank you, Brian. So, anyways, it was. So it's the idea that um, all these stories and the people that come through and uh, the soldiers that come through and the politics of that and uh, so yes, if um, radar was. Um, I always thought it was really cool. He was like, I guess, kind of like the secretary to the boss. And he liked to, he was a, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, nowadays, it, he was, he's a um, cross-dresser. He liked to wear women's clothes. And he, it was amazing because he didn't apologize, apologize for it. And nor should he have, but it was completely something that everyone around him just fully accepted. And I thought, that's how our society should be. It should be like that. And I, do, I always thought it was really cool. Anyway, so it's the idea that this show is going on. And as the series goes on, um, of course, I didn't know what episodes were coming or how close to the end or the beginning it was. I never really paid attention. But I remember the moment my mom was watching it. And, uh, they're in the middle of, you know, the the wackiness of the week. They're in the middle of it. And all of a sudden, somebody, the boss walks in, I guess it is, and says, War's over. Time to go home. And they're like, what? It's like, war's over. So they finish stitching up a few people. And the rest of the people are all going to be brought home. And they just kind of go, what? And they go, oh, okay. And they just finish up, put their instruments down, and the rest of the people are all being um, transferred back to America. And they all just kind of have to wrap up and go home. And I'm sure it takes way longer than that. But at the time, for the show's poignancy, I just thought, like, what? that can happen in TV? Like I never occurred, it never even occurred to me that shows ended or if they did, that they would wrap up a show. But I just thought that was incredible because it never occurred to me that any of those things were, they were not part. So there was before I saw that scene in my life and after that I saw that scene. 
And I just thought it was always very relevant to how you could be so stuck in a moment, so, look at it, so myopically, just so uh, under a microscope. And when you pull back, you realize, hey, this war could end or whatever the situation is could end. And you move on to the next thing. And it was like, whoa. I mean, maybe I said that terribly and clunky. But what I'm trying to say is it, it, I thought it was a really important moment for how a show could have impact. Anyways, I just thought it was incredible. And I haven't seen it since, but I just remember that moment going, oh, that's possible? And how it just, just kind of like, okay, we're all done. And how awkward and strange that would be for people who have been stuck in the trenches for so long in the real and proverbial and real life trenches of of war but so the doctors in their world that they've created and lived in for so long and uh anyways I just thought that was incredible oh you're right Brian it was the Korean War now that I think about it so thanks to Brian for correcting me so that everyone didn't email me right away (laughs) but uh not I obviously don't mean to be ignorant or disrespectful it's just I haven't read up on these things I wanted to keep it as fresh as possible of what I was feeling and what I remembered from the story so thank you for listening this story episode has been in my mind floating around for quite a while and I don't know it's just something I really wanted to talk about because I'm always interested in humanity in art being heavier, even comedy, everything being heavier than just existing. It, I feel like things need to mean something and Every person you meet means something, is somebody, has a story, has so many ups and downs and experiences. It's relevant. And I feel like if we're going to be changing the world, if we're going to help this next generation change the world to be better, also us, we need to have an effect right now. It starts with humanity. It starts with compassion. And it I feel like it needs to be in our vocabulary, in our world, in our society. It needs to be seen and shown and reminded that these things are all part of it. So even entertainment, I feel like it needs to have something else. I'm sorry, that's why with a lot of popular shows, people are all like, you should watch this, you should watch this. And I felt, I feel like some, a lot of times it's like, but it's not enough for me. It's not enough for me. I need more. I don't simply want to be entertained. I want to be moved. I want to be inspired. I want to feel something. I want to spark. I have a drive to live and feel and care about people and remind people why they do and should care so much about others 
not remind people, but inspire them. I had a really nice girl at work on Friday. I was sick, but I came in anyways to help because it was a busy time, which is good. And uh, I was like, oh, I came in and we were short staffed at the time. And I came in and I was just washing my hands, using the washroom, washing my hands, all that kind of stuff. And she was standing next to me and I was telling her how I came in. And I was like, woohoo, I'm going to have the weekend. I'm going to be able to rest and wrap in a blanket. And I was like, I'm not saying I'm important. Like, I, it's not like everyone should feel great that I'm in, but I was happy to be an extra pair of hands was what I was talking about. I wasn't saying everyone should be so happy I'm here. I was saying that I was an extra pair of hands and I was happy to be able to contribute and help. And she said, um, she's so nice. She's one of the interior designers. And she says, Oh, please, Catherine, you know, everyone is thrilled when you're here. You make everybody feel better and you make me feel better. And I smile when I see you and you make me want to smile. And I was like, oh, she's so nice. But that is the impact I want to have. So all these little things build part of my world and so I kind of wanted to just share it with you. And thanks to the girl from work for saying such a nice thing. And that's what I want to be able to contribute and be for people. Sometimes I call myself, uh, my job description, I call myself a muse. I'm there to inspire others, others and remind them what's beautiful about them. Remind them why they chose to be there. Why... What inspires them about their own life and what inspires them about their job? What they want to contribute. And so that's the part I'm playing. Maybe think about what part you want to play. I'm really excited for your journey and best of luck to you. Thank you for listening. Sorry about the cold, but that's real life sometimes, right? If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to uh, hear more in the future, please uh, feel free to support the show by telling one of your friends, telling someone you know, tell someone you don't like. I don't really care, but uh, just kind of tell people about it. But also, uh, you can financially support the show by going to the website, lifewithcatherine.com, and clicking on the donate button and uh, donate through PayPal or uh, if you're family and you'd like to donate cash, just uh, swing by, connect with my dad or connect with one of my sisters, and uh, that would be good. Uh, otherwise, please, people, use PayPal and uh, keep supporting the show. Thank you so much.